0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Change in the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. Alrighty. Hello, hello, everybody. And welcome back, of course, to another episode of Change in the Climate. Welcome to season three. We are excited to be bringing this show all the way through the end of 2021 and to the future. And I am very lucky and excited, as always, to have my guest, Angela Maria Ortiz-Roa.
1: Hola.
0: Hola. Happy to have you. And of course, we always get the show started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment.
1: Wow, thank you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited about uh, being part of your podcast. Like you said, my name is Angela Maria Ortiz Roa. My preferred pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am originally from Bogota, Colombia. And uh, I migrated to the US in 2001. So I've been here now for a long time, it feels like. And uh, I think I'm just here because of a set of values and principles that were taught to me in my childhood about what I was important and how I was to relate to the people in my community, to the planet that I live in. And uh, I think it's just been a journey of materializing and living uh, those values. So I think that's a short answer. I can give you a lot more besides that. Um, But we can dive in as you ask more questions.
0: Oh, we definitely will. And I'd love to hear about some of the most important values that you've learned over your lifetime.
1: Sure. I mean, definitely, I think my mom was just somebody that was always, um, talking about care for people and care for the planet and, um, and, uh, just, um, you know, the biggest joy being found in giving and caring for others. So I think I am very, um, collective in my, in the way that I live life and, uh, I think has really guided a lot of the work that I do, uh, even as as a young woman and now uh, as a not so young woman, (laughs) it is just always guided that. And I feel, I feel real lucky because I have been able to always um, work in areas that are in service of community. And it's been a long journey. I feel like definitely, I was not prepared to live the life of an immigrant. You know, I feel like I was a very proud and um, excited Colombian, ready to get started and to use my political voice when I was 18. And suddenly within like six to eight months, my life changed and I moved to the US. And that definitely had a huge impact in the way that I relate to that community because for a minute, I didn't feel like I belong. And it's, it's not till very recently that I started feeling like this is, this is me now. So, so yeah, I think just that, those values of service and, um, and um, collectivism, I think that's really strong in the way that I live life, the way that I raise my son and the way that I do my job. So
0: Oh, yeah. Well, beyond a doubt, I feel like living a life of service is one of the most fulfilling ways to spend your time when you see the impact that you have on other people, it makes you feel like you're being the best version of yourself. And I, I just I just love that kind of stuff. And I try to spread those values to more and more people. I'm curious, what prompted you to actually feel like you had to move to the US? What was going on there?
1: Uh, back then, Uh, my opportunities back in Colombia were very limited. I finished my high school, but because of financial um, instability that I grew up in, I didn't get access to my my grades, my records. So I had no proof that I had gone to school and my parents didn't have the financial means to like help me go to uh, continue to educate myself. So at that time I had the opportunity. There was a family that, invited me to come here to to just give it a try and like I said I feel like it was just so quickly I really never I, I went to a bilingual school and I remember being like why the heck am I learning this language I'm never gonna go there <laughs> I don't even want to go to the US and suddenly I was like oh I'm not only going to the US I'm gonna move and live it to the in the US so that was a little crazy and uh, I came here you know um, with the idea of you know, furthering my education, but really I just encounter, uh, just a whole world. I came here and oh, wow. I, you know, just, I've been supporting myself financially and my whole life. So wow. it took me a long time. I actually just finished my bachelor's degree, which is why Ooh. I came before, like, Congrats. like in May. So, but it took me forever, you know? So, so, yeah, it's been a long journey, but it's been just a journey just filled with adventure and wonderful people along the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the way the journey should be. Um, we're, we're happy to have you here, and thanks for coming on the show, obviously. Did you come here knowing no English at all?
1: No, I went to a bilingual school. I went oh, to you a bilingual, to bilingual. school? Colombia, yes. I just didn't understand why I was learning it, because I, my parents didn't have money to mm-hmm. come, and I didn't really want it to come, and... And then, you know, the universe had different plans. So I guess <laughs> and when, yeah. I, when I moved here, I definitely felt, um, you know, just knowing the language is a huge privilege. So yeah, I got that going on.
0: <laughs> really, really cool. Um, so you're up to like a lot of different things. Reminded did my research on you. Seems like you're involved in a lot of different programs, all stuff that I'm very interested in as well, which is why I love having you on the show. But I'm curious what like your main um, occupation is at the moment
1: um that's a really good question and yeah. I'm, in Spanish I say that I am a tolera like I do a little bit of everything so oh, yeah. cool. that is very true I have amazing my,
0: stuff too as we're going to get into
1: <laughs> I have my hands in a lot of different things I think is what creates like what really fuels my my creativity and but I think the thing that you know I am the most involved with besides being a mom is um most important job. yes uh, um, I manage, I, uh, I coordinate a program called FLOWS, mm-hmm. which uh, stands for the Foundations for Leaders Organizing for Water and Sustainability. So it's a nice, powerful, long name that a lot of people don't remember. And, uh, and luckily, we have a nice acronym that is FLOWS. And uh, FLOWS is a partnership between the Environmental Center at CU Boulder, which I know you had a couple of guests from the Environmental Center, and wow. also <laughs> and also um, the Housing Authority here in the city of Boulder. So Boulder Housing Partners. And what FLOWS does uh, it's a couple of things, but I think we have a very strong uh, eco-social uh, justice focus, right? So we live and function and operate in that intersection between environmental and climate justice and social justice, right? And we believe that um, uh, the issues that we experience are intersectional and we need to address them from the different um you know, dimensions that were, they're created. So we definitely never separate the the environment from the people. Uh, So we focus on that. We are very strong um, in our perspective of viewing the communities that we serve, which are immigrant communities, low-income communities, BIPOC communities, Queer communities. Uh, so it is our intention to really view this communities from an asset-based um, perspective. So I think we live in a society where we tend to look at each other. Uh, From a deficit mind, right? So we always like, especially when we look, for example, the low income communities, oh, I pobrecitos, oh, they just don't have the resources, oh, Mm -hmm. they don't have the education, oh, and I think that pobrecitos, that like looking down upon people is a a big part of the issue, and we cannot solve the issue with that perspective. I think that on the contrary, we have these communities are some of the most thriving, creative, resourceful, resilient communities. And um, what we do is just really celebrate the practices a lot of people have. A lot of them are eco-cultural roots, right? Eco-cultural values. And so we try to talk a lot about that. And and, um, also just elevating the leadership because sometimes we think that sustainability and the solutions live only in academia and um, policy making spaces and and we try to just bring it back bring that sustainability dialogue into everyday's. Life for people in a way that they relate to it. Because sometimes they like sustainability. I'm like, oh no, I'm not a sustainability person like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I never went to school for that. And they're yeah. like, wait, do you like hang out your clothes after you dry them to dryness? And they're like, yes. And they're like, do you reuse your containers? And they're like, oh. yeah. Like, they're your sustainability leader right there. People are like, oh, I had no idea that sustainability. I thought it was like this thing that lives in PhDs and, you know, masters and stuff. So, yeah. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful and really exciting work to 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 celebrate the leadership and the and the wisdom that we have in those communities
0: that's amazing I definitely want to dive in more to talking about what you guys do at flows but I'm curious why you think why do you think we have this this tendency to like look down on other people it seems like it's so common now but we're all kind of sharing this one world and like I understand we live in like these different hierarchies and we all come from like a different starting place but why do you think it's so common for people to be like oh that person is not good enough for this or like oh I shouldn't be involved with that that person is is academia academia when we're all kind of trying to share the same resources and everyone wants the same stuff you know everyone wants to succeed be happy have a happy family and you know if you if you like drinking water you know we should all you know sustain the water as well so I don't know I just wanted to ask you about that
1: well that's a that's a a complicated question I think for sure but I mean if if you really wanted me to answer it I would say that it is the way that we have been conditioned to to think about each other and I think Mm -hmm. really it's rooted to me in colonialism right I think it's that. That we're trying to assert power over others and try to take over it. Uh, we must bring people uh, mentally, physically down, like steal their humanity and their power, so that we can place ourselves above them and establish uh, that dominance. So I feel like it mm-hmm. really comes from that and it really stems. And I think people are like, Oh, but that's so long ago, and we're not dealing with it. And it's was not like that I long ago. We're, dealing, we're dealing with all the consequences and all the pain and all the trauma that 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 brought, I mean a lot of our social structures a lot of our political structures are rooted in those in those in that first contact and mm-hmm. and the way that you know uh, our religions and our uh, politics and our systems were just uh, established in that hierarchy and I think that that's in order to maintain certain certain dynamics we have to to preserve that those uh, superiority or inferiority. Sure perspectives I for think for sure so. <laughs> it's no, complicated I- <laughs> yeah,
0: a, a life is complicated. And I really appreciate you giving a response like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. But ha- how do you think we can, or how have you found in your life a way to, to decondition yourself out of like these systems and out of this programming that we're always getting bombarded with advertising? We go through this, this system of education. We all have these kind of program ways of thinking when you, you're looking to be more of a servant or, or lead a more virtuous life. How do, what do you find as effective ways to decondition yourself and kind of humanize everyone around you, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh well, I think it's a lifelong journey. I feel like Definitely. like it's like self-inquiry. I think it's constantly um exploring your blind spots, I think understanding that we all have them and uh I, and then sometimes it's really uncomfortable to recognize that you have stuff like that happening, and I think it's not shying away from that discomfort, but kind of embracing it in in efforts to transform yourself into some in a better version of of you, right? So I think it's constantly just like looking and be like, what's happening? Why did I say that? Or or why did I feel that? Or why did that person reacted to me? I didn't have you know like, and I think it's just having an open mind, and open heart. Um, I. Believe believe that I think one of the most beautiful things that we can achieve is understanding that we are very different. Mm -hmm. And not only in our skins, in our values, in our languages, we are very different. I think trying to uh, um, strive for that um like all that, you know, for everybody to be the same and think the same. And you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's ridiculous. And I think it's on um, it's not possible. On the contrary, I think And if you look at nature, I mean, the most the healthiest places are the ones that have the most variety, the Uh ones that are the most diverse. And I think that is very powerful if we're able to continue to look at yourself with compassion. And, uh, with, um, and with that desire and that commitment to stick through it, even though it's uncomfortable, even though you might have to go and apologize to somebody and say, I had no idea what I was doing, but I learned and I'm so sorry. Please keep me in check. Yeah. I think, I love that, that. but it has to be very conscious. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I think the moment that you start noticing these things, you cannot notice them anymore. So right. you know, sometimes like ignorance is a bliss. But um, I think that responsibility of uh, looking and constantly checking yourself—it's what allows for you to like deconstruct some of that narrative that that rules the world. So sure, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah and beyond a doubt we have too many problems going on for people to kind of just be like oh i'm just going to stay ignorant i'm not going to try and improve myself i think we need everybody to kind of get on this journey to try and become the best version of their self they could possibly be because we need all hands on deck so getting back into flows i'm just curious like what's the day-to-day workflow kind of look like at flows
1: sure you know what's funny with now and now we're like pre-COVID <laughs> mm-hmm. COVID times, it was a very different. I mean, Flows is definitely a, a contact program. Like we are in the community. Awesome. And what we used to do, um, so there's different things, right? So Flows is... Um, A partnership, like I said, between the environmental center and Boulder Housing Partners. So our team is composed of residents of the communities that we serve and students that reflect the identities of the communities that we serve, right? So, Mm -hmm. And uh, so we put these teams together before COVID, we will offer um, home visits to people and uh, we will offer like a really basic uh, water and energy audit. Uh, so we were coming in pairs and, you know, changed the faucet so that they use less gallons per minute Change the shower heads. We talked about and um, behaviors about around consumption. Like I said, always very much from a celebratory place, not like preachy. Cause I feel like mm-hmm. that, when somebody's preaching you how to live. Like it's like, that, you know, like, Nope. <laughs>
0: Especially in this country.
1: Uh, yeah. Oh Lord. And so, so that was like the mechanics of the program, like you know, like we changed water heaters, we checked that the refrigerators were working properly, that there were no toilet leaks, and in the meantime, we're also talking to the rent, the, to the to the resident, about their their behaviors. Always, you know. Kind of highlighting the positive and the things that are doing, and um, and then maybe be like, hey, did you know that when you're not charging your phone and the pl- the plug's still in the wall, like it's, it's drawing energy? So next time, like once you're done plugging, unplug it. You know, people are like, oh, I had no idea. You know, like I don't little-
0: think I knew that either.
1: Hey, there you go. It's called a phantom load. Yeah. It's just pulling. So anything that is plugged in your walls, even if you're not using them and they're not on. Um, they're, they're drawing out energy. So, so we tell that to people, people are like, Oh, I had no idea but People are more willing to try certain things when you recognize all the other stuff that they're doing. So like a little nice sandwich, so positive, a little idea to change and a lot of a lot of other positive, right? So I think it's like so much easier to, to receive a message when there's celebration around what you are already doing. So that was Flows. And we visited around, I think, close to like 500 of Boulder Housing Partners' homes. And since 2016, when the program started as a pilot. Wow until I think the end of 2018 so we knocked at every door these services are totally mm-hmm. voluntary people don't have to have it and um, but people most of the times were like coming in and we had this beautiful conversations in the spaces where are the safest for people which are their homes like we're coming into their sacred space so like and they're the ones in power they're the ones who tell us you know like how they live their life and we just listen we learn from them and then we provide a little bit of ideas that maybe they have not thought about so that was flows in the community and then to our team of, of technicians that are residents and students we always provided and um, green job skills trainings right so we have learned about just making biochar we've learned about um, installing solar panels we have learned how to install and the water and um, this is always a hard one the the rainwater catchment systems mm-hmm. we did that at a trailer park so that we hooked the the gutters to big barrels to collect rainwater for the gardens and we've done um We've done a lot of training around eco-social justice and leadership of color so that we understand the power that we have in our communities, knowing that sometimes here in Boulder, we lack a little bit of that diversity. So I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of looking uh, for leaders that look like that and that doesn't look, that they don't look like the dominant uh, concept of what a sustainability leader looks like. So that's been like our internal trainings for a mm-hmm. group, the community right we have helped uh, collect feedback from community members for the climate um, action plan for the city of boulder Um, yeah so we just and and in touch with community i think right uh, so when when covid hit we were about to roll out like a second round of home visits that was going to include the topic of indoor air quality Mm -hmm. and uh however you know you you know, that was a little scary and we were all really stressed out there for a minute. So we felt like it was one, we couldn't really be in touch with people. And two, it felt a little uh, tone deaf for us to be like, Hey, like we might not know where we're paying rent with or how we're buying food, but here's an indoor quality monitor. <laughs> like, right. It felt like it was not the right thing. So instead during the pandemic, we just kind of you know focused a lot on food access i think that was really important at the pandemic knowing that some of we saw some disruption in some of our our systems and that we were you know like running out of supplies in certain areas and so we focused a lot on like local food production we were able to host two virtual learning series where we invited like residents many of them are personal friends or my neighbors that are leaders are permaculturists are healers are um hmm. so it was just it was it continued to be a celebration of the power and leadership in our communities just virtually <laughs> so yeah. That's what we did in the pandemic and right now with now that we're coming back or coming out of it, it's time, it's time for us to uh, again reassess and see what we can do in this like hybrid world while we still, you know, kind of healing from the trauma that this mm-hmm. pandemic brought to us as a, as a community and then how can we implement programs that continue to foster that, that sense of, of collectiveness that I think we need.
0: Yeah. And I love that. And I'm hoping to see you guys back out there because it sounds like the stuff you're doing is really cool. And it's amazing to, to get really involved with the community and, you know, just teach them, hey, you're, you're doing some stuff, right? And you can do better. And we all can as well. But on that thought, I'd love to ask you about um, your experience with urban agriculture and food justice. You're involved with this group food justice, right?
1: I am involved with Boulder Food Rescue. Yes. Boulder, so, Boulder Food Rescue. Yes. BFR boulder food rescue is just one of the raddest coolest organizations we have in town and uh my relationship to food is interesting you know like i come from like a culture that loves food right like I mean I think all cultures love food but you know I like <laughs> but my you know my 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 dad's side of the family very much into cooking and I think that's how we all showed love is like hey yeah uh, we went there and we brought you this or hey you're coming what do you want me to cook for you and like and then when I moved here you know one by myself at 18 and I was like wait how do you cook those things again you know like <laughs> and the I phone. think I was like, please, like, what's the recipe? And I think my aha moment with food was when I came here. I had been here for a couple of months and I was trying to like follow the recipes that my parents were providing. And I would make the food and I would eat the food and I would feel so sick. Like, I would like feel bloated and uncomfortable. And I was like, why? I mean, I'm following the recipe I have relatively the same ingredients like what's happening so that was the first moment that I started looking at at food production in this country and I was like wow it's just the the practices here are so different you know like Mm -hmm. so large scale like so that's my first moment that I was like food is different like it looks the same but it's different right and then uh later on in life it became real again when I became pregnant and I was like what do I eat to make a healthy baby and then it's like, the, I think at that time, it's like the organic thing was coming really strong. And so I started learning about these things. And I've been really lucky to have a lot of really cool and smart friends. And a lot of them were like permaculturists. And they're like, yeah, there's this thing. And I was just like, so I started learning about just how mm, not nutrient dense the food can be here. Right. Definitely and um that was one of the things that I was just like wow I want to learn how to grow my own food because I don't have to feed this baby and uh I don't not necessarily trust what's happening in the grocery stores and all these labels of organic stuff so those were my first moments of like I want to learn how to grow my own food then I took a permaculture design course and um that just kind of you know from that somebody was like hey we need somebody that is bilingual to like manage this community garden you want to do it and I was like no like yes
0: what what is permaculture
1: oh well that's an interesting question (laughs) and permaculture so it's a it's a um, it's a design system which uh I think people related definitely to like your gardens and food production, mm-hmm. but I think it really is related to everything. I think you can relate it to social structures. So, permaculture, like permanent cultures, regenerative per- cultures, you are trying to look and observe what's happening in nature and kind of mimic that in your design so that your mm-hmm. designs are self sufficient and you have to reduce the amount of input that you're putting besides the system. Kind Know, maintaining itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's nothing new. This is all indigenous knowledge. We just repackaged it and uh, are selling it for really high prices in some places. <laughs> 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 uh, but it's all indigenous knowledge. It's what our communities, our campesinos, and our hills in every country have been doing. And, uh, you know, using water smartly, like observing the patterns, using the sun, using microclimate, using the edge. Um, uh, so, it actually has uh, three, three ethics, which I think that was the most beautiful part for me, because it's the care for the people, the care for the planet and sharing the surplus is the ethics of permaculture. And I was like, I've been living my life based on this principle. So like, this is me. Awesome yes um so it is really sweet and i think you can totally uh, it has a set of like 12 principles like observation and uh, slow and steady solutions and uh, reduce waste like it's uh, it, and you can live by those principles even if you never grow a tomato in your life you know like like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a beautiful it's a beautiful way of looking at life um but I, like i again i feel like it's been um somebody a friend said it's like it's the flavor of the month you know like it's Mm -hmm. like really popular right now and people pay a lot of money to learn how to do it when reality is just indigenous knowledge again eh,
0: very interesting
1: so oh I took that course and somebody was like you want to manage this garden I was like hell no I've grown one but tomato plant (laughs) <laughs> and, I was like, do that is and i was like there's no way and then somebody's like i had a mentor of mine this beautiful cubana this isabel sanchez from Cuba. And she's like do it do it do it do it and i was like i don't know how to do it she's like you know more than the people that are there go and i was like and i went from managing one tomato to managing like 20 tomato plants. it was like so much more we we're producing awesome half a ton every summer it was beautiful Th-
0: this is in boulder somewhere
1: actually this was in commerce city for a long time okay I was not quite connected to Boulder. Mm
0: -hmm. I lived
1: in Boulder. I lived in Boulder a long, long time. But like a lot of the work that I did was in Denver, Commerce City. And and that just, I think out of all the justices that I think that I touch and that I want to be part of the solution for, I think food is one of my favorites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then I was able, I mean, I met Boulder Food Rescue. And the organization and I was in in this in this process of, you know, like, learning how to join a board and uh, now feeling that responsibility that many in my community don't plug in because they don't have the capacity, Mm -hmm. many places have language access obstacles. And I said, "I, I have to do it, I have to do it for all those who cannot say something I have to right? Or they they don't have not that they can't but they don't have some platforms to, to mac, m- m- magnify their voices. So I did it. I joined the 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 board for Boulder Food Rescue, and it's been just a fantastic experience. And it was amazing to see that organization spring to action and be so crucial for our communities during the pandemic when people were like,
0: "Yes, yeah, so so what are they doing?"
1: So what they do is they redistribute food so uh, you know how there's so much food waste right mm-hmm. so what this organization does it goes and gets all this like the food that has the, the tomato that has the blemish and nobody buys it at the store because we like everything to look the same like they yeah. get all the stuff and they bring it to the community so they're removing several obstacles in the process because for many people some of the obstacles to access healthy food is transportation and the the cost of food right and so these people bring all this food to the community and in the community then it organizes themselves, each community where they have a, a, a place of delivery has organized themselves to to create a redistribution process in within their communities and, and it's free of charge. Anybody can get the food. There's no documentation required for people to access the service. People just, you know, and people, sometimes some communities have decided that the person that is in charge of helping redistribute in the community may bags for everybody and the person knows that oh Ethan likes this so I, I sent him that mm-hmm. in all the communities like people line up and they go through the line I said I want that I want this you know like so it's just amazing and they have played a huge role during the pandemic too like the, the amount of extra uh, delivery or new distribution spots in the communities increased during the pandemic and um, it was great to be part of that work it was great to see the the staff of that team um be so quick at, at, at reacting and they had luckily the system that they operate under was very good for what the pandemic needed because Definitely. people were ready people didn't need to go to the grocery stores the food was coming into their communities they could be delivered outdoors people could be spaced out it was just amazing so yeah I'm a proud BFR board member.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it it sounds like an amazing organization and I'm so happy that there's people like that out there who are willing to kind of do work like that and and but I can't help but think about how that's kind of like a a band-aid solution to like a broken bone. Like, you know what I mean? Like what is there a way for us to change the system so we're not wasting tons of food that we that creates organizations to give food to people for free why couldn't like the system work so that everything is distributed out and we use all the resources sustainably and the same I, the same idea with like going to people's houses and teaching them how to live sustainably can't we just build homes so they're more like sustainable and waste less energy and be, beyond the the food at the grocery store i think americans waste like 50 percent of the food that they even buy so it's like why are we living like this if it doesn't make any sense
1: I agree with you. And it's funny because I was just having that conversation with my partner last night and he's a very optimistic. It's funny because I do this Good. work. I'm like, we can do it. But sometimes I'm like, oh, people, how could you? <laughs> you know? and, and he was like, oh, we're going to be okay. We're going to mm-hmm. be okay. And it's like, I can, I, I, cannot wait till that okay. Like it feels yeah. so far away. But I was telling him that I think the important thing is that you do your best right now like I, yeah. independently what's gonna happen Independently, we're gonna make it or not make it or we're gonna run out of water or not water like I think the important thing is like yeah that I could tell you that I like I could I could die tomorrow and I feel like I did my best I've been love, trying I my best you know like I and, and I can tell you that of course I have crappy days and there's days that I'm like oh stupid people you know like <laughs> but but in general i I'm like really committed and really um just you know i want to be part of the solution that's mm-hmm. it so yeah. but i mean what the question that you're raising there is is tough because it's totally such up. i mean creating systems and their systems have been in place for so long i mean and yes we can create these homes that are you know more self-sufficient and and better designs and all that stuff but really i feel like it is related on like what are we we being taught to consume We're being taught that consume consume equals status, social status. If you can buy anything at any time or you can leave your water open and not have to worry about it gives you status, you have social status. The person that has their water fountain, the person that can turn around and buy a Tesla. Like it Mm -hmm. gives you status instead of like minimizing and simplifying our ways. And I think that's the issue. I think that's I think that's what we should try to change. Is like we don't need to have everything new. We don't need to buy everything eh, all the time. Like, just, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, no, it's, yeah,
0: it's, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm, no, keep, keep going. I'm loving it. It's, it, we want, we need a culture shift, you know, and the al- the alternative is collapse, in my opinion. People think I'm, might think I'm a little out there, but like from my study, it seems that. This, uh, this system of endless consumption just inevitably leads to an, an empty plate. I don't know, you know?
1: <laughs> I agree. I mean, I agree. I mean, this is what we're doing to our planet. It's like, we're just like extracting, extracting and all of our needs to like change, and buy the plan so that we lease the car so that every two years we can change it. Or we mm-hmm. sign a contract with whoever your phone provider is so that every time there's a new iPhone, you get it new. Like, all oh, that is just like extraction. All that stuff equates extraction somewhere else. And usually it's not in your face. So that's where you're like, whatever, I just want a new iPhone. Because you're mm-hmm. not there seeing where they're mining all the all stuff that is needed to make your iPhone, right? But Yeah. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And I'm glad I feel like the more that we talk about it, and, you know, the more we normalize this, the more we n- normalize the narrative, and we, you know, plant each other's ideas as seeds in our minds. And you make me think of things that I never thought. And I hope I make you think of things that you've never thought about before. And like, everybody that's listening to us, we do that the same, yeah. like, it, but, but it, it has it's is uh, and that's the part that when i was telling my partner yesterday i cannot think about it being like oh it's gonna be solved like million uh, like a thousand years from now so don't worry it's gonna be solved. i was like a thousand years from now, i'm not gonna be here my kid is not gonna be here but at right. least i'm thinking about it and doing for about it uh, uh, doing something about it now
0: yeah and thank you for I, doing it, that
1: even if it collapses we're trying <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, we're, 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 i'm on board with you i'm in the, i'm in the complete same attitude let's let's talk a little bit about um your thoughts on inclusiveness in regards to like environmental stewardship like how having more inclus- inclusion and diversity of thought like what we're talking about how we go back and forth and have different ideas we can all have a space where we can talk freely and have all sorts of different people talking how does that relate to um taking care of the planet overall in a better way
1: well i think again is that an idea of like diverse places being the most resilient in nature, right? So I feel like the more voices and more ideas, the more perspectives, we can include anything, the richer that field or, you know, becomes, right? So I think, and that's something that we really celebrate and try to encourage in flows. Like we have a group, I think probably right now we have around 10 technicians that are part of a group and we are so different. Not only do we come from very different countries in the world, we speak very different languages, we all look very different, but we're very different in the way that we look at the problem and the way that we think that the solution is, right? So what is beautiful is that we've been able to create this space where I'm like, you know, I'm not in agreement with you. Like, and and you can be like, okay, I'm gonna like, and we don't have to be in agreement. I think the powerful thing is that we can sit in that space, be in this agreement and still love and care for each other and respect each other. And I think that's part uh, of the importance of, of inclusion is really, um, this is all of ours, responsibility i think nobody i think part of the issue is that separation that happened right like mm-hmm. they, they they separated people from the land they separated people from each other and they made this like invisible lines and borders so that we couldn't cross them and and i think that's part of the issue is that this connection like we just and um, i've always talked especially based on my immigrant experience like if you don't feel like you belong Why care? Why care for it? Like I think that's the most important thing is to make people feel like they belong. And I think that's why um, immigrants are so good at this, because we've already crossed borders Mm -hmm. physically and in our minds. Like we belong to two or three different places at the same time. So it's easier for somebody to be like, and now I'm not just Colombian like I was when I was 18. I am like, I'm a citizen of the planet. Like, you know, like I've lived here, I live there. So I think that sense of belonging and belonging the way that you are, not belonging because you and me are the same. And now we belong because we look mm-hmm. the same and talk the same and think the same. But you you belong independently of who you are and how you live. And I think that sense of belonging, the moment that you you take care of your home when you feel like it's yours and you care and you care for it. So Allowing for people to feel that way independently of who they are and how they think of things, I think is really important in understanding that um being different from each other is a beautiful thing because we get yeah. to learn so much more from each other. We all thought the same and spoke the same and agreed on everything. How boring.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, can you tell me about a time where someone who was very different from you had uh, an opposing point of view to yours and they actually changed your mind and you feel like you became smarter just from chatting with them?
1: Um, no, that's an interesting question. You know, I remember one time and I don't necessarily need to think that the moment that you changed your mind or change somebody else's mind is the aha moment necessarily more than just being able to have the dialogue even if people not don't change their mind you know like having the dialogue in a way that is respectful even in disagreement i think that's the power more than changing everybody else's mind mm-hmm. but i remember for example just to give you an idea similar to what you just asked like for example um we have inflows people from different countries and there was this one time this guy from venezuela Uh, and we were talking like how can we make people especially people that have the financial means to like not care around um, so much about their consumption because they can pay for it Mm -hmm. care for the resource right like and uh in Venezuela and it happened to me in Colombia and people were like maybe we should do campaigns maybe we shouldn't do a block party maybe we should like I mean we're like Brainstorming all kinds of ideas, and this guy was like, "Get up!" He's like, "You know what we need to do? We need to do what we did in, in Venezuela when I was growing up, which is like you just shut off the water. Like, there's no water like for three days, and people have to collect water and use what they collected, and that's gonna give people perspective. You know, like <laughs> you know, we like, were like, let's have like a parade, and let's, no. <laughs> uh, and he was like, no, let's like cut the water, and it's true, like you yeah. know uh, that and and it was really opposing to like what we were trying mm-hmm. but it's it was uh, it intense was a
0: very, perspective yeah
1: it's a solution there is like hardcore and we grew up that way i grew up with the uh, mm-hmm. electricity being shut off for certain days and water being shut off certain days wow. and um it, it gives you and it was like you know he was like yeah shut the water off and have people have to go and pick up water and then take it up to their apartment on the 13th floor without an elevator and see how, how careful they're going to be about that water, you know, like, um, so you see, like, and that's what we're trying to rescue with flows. It's like those experiences have made, have made a lot of us be so much more thoughtful about how we consume. And in the transition of moving into this country and assimilating here, where like, you have the dollar stores and target and like everything's so easy and fast and cheap and you know like so we're trying to be like no don't go to that stay here like don't start eating mcdonald's keep eating your beans and rice you know like (laughs) so um i don't know if that was exactly what you were asking but i feel like it was just like a moment of like yeah like moment and we were like oh it's so different and yet so true what he was mentioning and Mm -hmm. Um, it's exciting to hear when people get passionate and throw out like all these crazy ideas and you're like, actually, that would be great. Can you imagine if they we were to shut off the water in Boulder? Oh, <laughs> I mean, people would lose their
0: minds. I mean, these people exciting. are paying $5 million for their houses, so they'll probably lose right? their minds.
1: And, yeah. you know, that, that's your field. <laughs> For
0: sure. It's it's crazy. And it's interesting to be like the climate change realtor and be into minimalism and not materialistic at all and then be trying to work with, like, these people to get some of their resources into the stuff that I'm interested in. Um, it's fun. I want to talk a little bit about uh, water sustainability. What can you, what's, like, the most important uh, things to know about being more sustainable with our water usage? Because I'm concerned about this, especially here in the, in the mid Midwest.
1: Yes. Um. I think something that is important and I'm still not all the way well-versed around this, but there is a lot of laws around our water, which you would think yeah. is like, oh, it's, it's a resource, it's in the nature. Like, but there's a lot of laws about water and the, the way that water flows through our state and where the water comes from and who has rights to pick it up and who has, you know, like, and that that's something I've been learning a lot from my mentor, Michelle Gabriel of Parish, who was a FLOWS founder. And uh, she's been working a lot uh, with the Colorado River and how it flows, you know, it has, all, many of those laws have made it so that the water never reaches the delta, and it never gets to Mexico. And um, so it is a resource that we have, it is a resource that we're contaminating. And you know, our water is limited, we don't have, we don't have endless water. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's just uh, I don't know. I think we need to ask the indigenous communities that question. All right. Well,
0: l- let's, let's talk about that. That was my next question is uh, some key takeaways from your study of like ancestral incandru- uh, ancestral living in like indigenous communities and how that compares to our Westerns, more like Western society.
1: Right. Well, definitely our indigenous communities are the original stewards of the land, the original environmentalists, <laughs> the yeah. ones that have, they were all, it was just part of, of the culture and the values it was just like there was not this connection from the land it was we're part of it right and we honor it and, and have cycles in it because we're we're in it right so so I think that has been just very humbling I feel like um it flows is committed to open spaces for those voices to lead because I feel like now that we're like in like a very critical moment. I think people are starting to be like, wait, indigenous knowledge, wait, from a culture, not, you know, but we're not letting the communities be the ones that lead. We're taking the knowledge and applying it in certain places, but it's not the communities that are leading a lot of the time. So I think that's what we need to do. I think um, we should just get out of the way and let, and let, and let people eh, that, have had this connection and had these values and had this way of living in nature with, um, in nature, no, in balance with nature uh, to be the ones that lead us. I feel like, you know, I think that would be part of the, of the reparations that, that uh, we owe a lot of this community The mm-hmm. you know, the is just, it's just to have access to land and to continue those practices that were stolen. And now like, and now we package permaculture culture and sell it for thousands and thousands of dollars. a course, when reality is indigenous knowledge and the majority of the people I'm telling you that are teaching those courses are not indigenous people.
0: Right. Yeah, well, that gets back to what we were talking about earlier, the stigma of how we look down on other people because they're different from us or they have different views. But at the end of the day, as soon as we like their idea, we'll just take it, repackage it and say it was our own and then spread it around. So it's all it's all dense, complicated topics. And I'm happy to just kind of go over everything with you today. Um, I, I, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is how do you stay optimistic when you're aware of how many horrible things are going on and how we all live in these systems that we either respect or we don't and we want to make them better. But you see you're talking about it. Being successful a thousand years down the line, and we and you and I both know we need more more effort today. So, uh, um, maybe an experience that has led you to be optimistic because you seem like a very optimistic, positive person, which is why it's been really fun talking to you. And I'm just worried. I'm uh, not worried. Sorry. Um, curious about how to continue this for myself, my audience, and everyone else around us amidst conflict.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's a very good question. Um, it's tough sometimes, actually. I kind of like you know, and I'm such an open heart person, like, so it just really hurts, like, the the reality of people and our planet is like, really in my body, I feel it. So it's, it's very important for me to, to find that balance, because it can be debilitating. And, um, and I, I think i unhealthy too, to let that kind of live there. And I think the way that I balance that out, one is through the work that I do. And I, I feel like really like every day I'm like, <laughs> that you know, like through the way that I'm raising my child, through the way that I live my life, through the way that I do my work and through the way that I connect with people. But I think one of the things that keeps me the most positive is that I am just in love with people. I think that I just, I, 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 I. I I'd really have eyes that want to look at the at the of the beauty and the positive of of what we all have independently of the package on the outside, you know. Like, um, so I'm just a people lover. I think that people are creative people are, uh, and I think that inspires me. Um, I think that's one of my biggest inspirations is just being able to see and, uh, and appreciate people and always be, um, try to be as compassionate. Cause you don't know, you don't, you don't know what's happening with that person or why they're acting that way or why they're being hurtful in certain, you don't know what happened to them. And that could be just uh, um, a reaction to like protect them. You know, like you have no idea. So I feel like I have this capacity to look at people and, hey, from a very compassionate place in my heart. And that gives me hope because you usually can find the issue that is the reason why people are acting a certain way is rooted usually in sadness or anger or trauma or something. So if we were able to like give that person that little love in that place where they hurt, (laughs) then people would be better. But I also have to think about the now, like I cannot think if we're gonna make it, if we're not gonna make it, like that is really concerning and, and uh, scary to think about. And um, I just have to think about the now and knowing that I'm doing my best and I'm doing my best for the people that came before me. I'm doing my best for the people that are coming gonna come after me. So again, I think that's an an indigenous idea of the seven generations, right? I feel like Mm -hmm. that's wisdom there again. And it's indigenous wisdom that I've learned about. And it makes a lot of sense. You just do your best. You have the responsibility on the now to beautify and make the spaces that you um, inhabit better and leave them better than what you found them.
0: For sure. And I don't think there's any better way to live in the now than to spend time with people that you care about when you're in that moment with your best friend or your spouse or your kid. That's when you really feel like the most alive, in my opinion. So uh, I love that answer that that, I think I think I'm on the the same path you need to get. So that's why. Good thing. COVID's over because we need to get out there and socialize again because I'm I'm dying for it. Um, Last question. I'm going to tell you
1: something. I'm going to tell you COVID is not over. COVID is not over because maybe our Boulder County, we're like seventy some percent but in reality, the rest of the world is still locked in and we don't have access to the vaccines. And like people like me right now, I'm like, oh yeah, let's go socialize. When I have an uncle that is in a coma for a while, like, you know, like, so I think it's important to recognize that a lot of people are still in it.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I get caught up in my own little life sometimes in this little border well, bubble. We're very overrun. privileged
1: and it's great. We and, I think, <laughs> and we can definitely celebrate some of that, those blessings that we've had. I just wanted to make sure because I feel like we've been talking a lot about that a lot. Like eh, I'm about to go to Colombia and I'm like, oh, we're like going to concerts here already. And I was like, wait, people are like trapped in their apartments still over there, you know, like. Wow. So That's it's like right. a reality that yeah, is very very contrasting, and I'm like, wow, it's am- Especially our Boulder County, we're very well resourced here. So mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm.
0: True, you were going to so.
1: ask one more question, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I always I always love to ask people just advice they have for for young folks who are passionate about environmental justice, social justice. How can they get involved? What advice do you have from your experience?
1: Um, I would say. That there is a lot of good people doing a lot of really cool work and uh, uh, I would say that um try your hardest for your your present and uh, that um, that we're that we're s- stronger together and also to like celebrate this comfort I think that's where we all grow and I think that's why we're so scared about you know we've been like listening to this like really, um, polarized narrative they're like no don't trust that person no if they vote for that person i mean they have these values no if they, you know, like so we're like all oh, in our corners like they're like
0: Bullshit. The
1: other. yes 100 percent bs <laughs> but i feel like embrace like go towards the middle like pull towards the middle and go okay. and ask questions and and um and not be scared of of being wrong and um, but I think there's just a lot of cool stuff happening and we just don't know about it and there's a lot of leaders that look like you and there's a lot of power within your community and um, we can all do a little bit more there's two little grains of sand (laughs) yeah yeah Mm-hmm. well
0: Angela it was really nice having you on the show um, all your perspectives all the stuff you've been involved with is very cool I hope we can help kind of continue to spread these ideas out to like a larger base so we can get everyone working together and everyone having diversity of thought and being discomfort this because again that is how you grow I couldn't agree more um, but it's been a pleasure to talk to you today so thanks so much for coming on the podcast uh, welcome back to season 3 everybody Pleasure. <laughs>
1: thank you. you thank you so much thank you everybody for listening have a good yeah. day
0: you're welcome alright everybody take it easy Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate, the official podcast of Climate Change Realty. If you are very passionate about these issues and you know anyone considering buying or selling a home anywhere in the USA, then please visit CCRBoulder.com today.